Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 320. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by AgDirect. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. I have Tanner M. Key back on here, and this is kind of an impromptu one because I read an article that he had published out there on LinkedIn and basically was kind of talking about Southwest Kansas and what they see happen with the Oglala. Ogolala Aquifer. I can't ever say that correctly the first time. It's a mouthful. <laughs> it is that. And basically, you know, I, you know, I've lived in Kansas most of my life, you know, except for the time I've lived up here in, in Nebraska. But, you know, that's always been something that's been out there. There's always been this this talk about the Ogallala Aquifer and how much longer can we do this, this, that, and the other thing. And it's never really gone anywhere. Well, this is the first time the Kansas Water Board has actually come out and said, it's our opinion that we need to really limit the amount of water that we're taking out of that aquifer um, for the foreseeable future. And um, it was, that's, that's a big deal for the economic development and the economic livelihood of, of an entire region, you know, Western third of Kansas there. So I guess Tanner, I guess, as you're looking at that, what are your thoughts there? And, and I mean, I guess what's, what's some of the direction that you're, that you're hearing now out of Kansas when it comes to this uh, Ogallala aquifer and how it, how it's going to support farming in, in Western Kansas. Yeah. No, it's been an ongoing issue for decades. Yeah. I mean, that's where I was born and raised. And uh, it's something we, that I grew up uh, hearing about. Really it's uh, it's become an issue over the last decade or two, it's becoming more acute. And so now what you mentioned there, Casey, is is interesting. The Kansas Water Authority has said, uh, basically, if I can, if I can quote uh, their words uh, from their report, uh, they said, um, the policy of planned depletion of the Ogallala Aquifer is no longer in the best interest of the state of Kansas. And so from now on, they want a collaborative process uh, that is data-driven, uh, to sustain the Ogallala Aquifer over a period of time. So first of all, uh, just a clarification of terms here. Uh, 
people hear about the High Plains Aquifer and people hear about the Ogallala Aquifer. What is the difference? The Ogallala Aquifer is the westernmost part of the High Plains Aquifer, which extends from all the way from Canada down to Mexico. And in Kansas, it's across the entire state. And then there's three separate uh, aquifers within uh, the High Plains Aquifer. And uh, importantly, uh, the theme here is about the Ogallala Aquifer and how it's been declining. That's well known. Uh, further east, the other two aquifers uh, have been steady to rising in some places. And it's a different area. You're not going to have uh, the uh, the, pr the agricultural production uh, in those areas as like you do see, like you see out in western Kansas for a whole host of reasons. Um, the reason why so much cattle feeding and uh, crop production to support uh, the cattle industry is located out west is because cattle perform better on gain uh, out in those drier areas. Further east in Kansas, it's going to be impacted. So that's why you see so much water, so much more water availability uh, in other areas of the state. But that's not where you see the cattle. It's because the cattle are where they're going to do well. Uh, and coincidentally, there's also a lot of water there with the Ogallala. But now the Ogallala Aquifer has been declining. And uh, that's of economic concern. You've got an entire economy built around uh, really corn and corn silage production uh, to support uh, cattle production. Or cattle feeding. And so now the question is, okay, what does sustainability look like with water? And uh, I just uh, heard the director of uh, the Kansas Water Office uh, yesterday when I was in Wichita, and uh, she was bringing up some interesting uh, data points that K-State has done. They've done a lot of research on this. Uh, Dr. Bill Golden, uh, agricultural economist at K-State's done a lot of work on this. And the focus really is on lemas, uh, the local enhanced uh, management areas. And up around Colby, Kansas, and Thomas County, uh, they uh, decided to reduce usage, I think, by 15% thereabouts. And the results, uh, interestingly, uh, came back that farmers actually made more money. because Rather than chasing yield, uh, they reduced their uh, pumping. Uh, thereby reducing their pumping costs, and uh, they ended up uh, more profitable, which was an interesting data point. Now, I, I have not read that study, but that's what I heard. And so I think that's, it sounds like that's going to be the framework going forward. But to the point about availability of corn, about a, a feed in general, it doesn't have to be corn. You also have milo. You have uh, corn silage. You have uh, uh, sorghum sedan grass. Uh, silage. You've got triticale silage, wheat silage, all these different feed sources that can support uh, a livestock industry out in western Kansas. So the question here is, what's the best use of the water? Well, if we are going to see declining water usage, like for instance, uh, up in Thomas County, uh, if they reduced uh, pumping by 15%, and again, I'm, I'm quoting other numbers here, I'm assuming that's right, uh, and that means, uh, logically, then we're going to see reduced availability of corn bushels or milo bushels or tons of silage because less water is being, uh, less crop production is happening. Sure. Right. So now the question is, okay, what happens to the cattle industry? What, what's going to happen out there? Are these guys just going to fold up their tents and go home? Well, as markets do, and this is what I wrote about on LinkedIn and got 
uh, quite a bit of response, more than I was anticipating. Uh, it was a very strong response from a number of people on LinkedIn um, about how markets function uh, with scarcity. If we're going to see reduced corn availability, what happens to basis? Should go up. Yeah. Basis goes up, okay, yeah. to, to attract bushels into that market. Well, at the same time, you've got another market development happening over in the Corn Belt. Uh, you've got uh, ethanol uh ethanol companies are struggling mm -hmm. and there's a big question mark about the viability of ethanol production uh with the development of evs uh or electro electronic vehicles uh with gasoline prices having come off their peak and corn prices are high what does this uh future look like for ethanol well perhaps there may be a dynamic here where you've got reduced local usage in the corn belt support that was there the to support ethanol and so what happens to that basis it's going to widen out yeah. more bushels are going to would conceivably come onto the market sure so you got tight basis in western kansas where the cattle are and then also down in texas panhandle uh that region widening basis out in the corn belt what happens corn's going to move yeah okay the market is going to solve this problem and uh, of bushel availability of feed availability so then what do you do with the local water uh, in western Kansas? Well, you put it to a better economic use, like, for instance, silage. Uh, you, there's a lot, a lot more dairy cattle coming into western Kansas. Uh, that you know, Kansas, eastern Colorado, Texas Panhandle, that whole region has been growing with dairy. So there's a dynamic here where you've got increased demand. Um, longer term, we can see if, if this continues to play out there's going to be more and more cattle uh specifically dairy cattle moving to the plains and that's going to increase feed usage well we can move the corn uh the surplus corn out of the out of the corn belt allow the markets to function as they do with basis and then use that local water to produce silage and so you're going to convert more of that uh, production capacity for irrigation over out of grain production or to silage production that would make more sense in my view for a couple of reasons. One is that silage has a lot of water in it and it doesn't travel well. Mm -hmm. You can only you can only haul it economically. Uh, I, I've heard the figure make 10 or 20 miles. Literally, you cannot haul silage economically very far because there's just so much water in it. Right. Uh, whereas you can haul corn bushels around the plant. Okay. So let's bring in the corn bushels from uh, the Corn Belt or further east in eastern Kansas or uh, in uh, Nebraska or Iowa and use the scarce resource of declining water in western Kansas for silage. So that's the main one uh, is because silage doesn't travel well. You're going to have more dairy cattle. They're going to demand more silage. Uh, point number two is that silage is more uh, has more opportunities. Because uh, if you're going to grow corn grain, well, you can only grow corn. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. it. Right. Whereas if you're growing silage, you've got a lot more flexibility. You can grow corn silage. Right. You can grow uh, sorghum sedan grass. You can grow triticale. You can grow wheat. It all comes down to which one of those is going to get you more pounds of silage per pound of water. Right. And there used to be strong statistics on this from... Uh, New Mexico State University at uh, Clovis. 
which is where a, a major uh, cheese producer is and a lot of dairy production. Unfortunately, the, that data is now gone because they discontinued that research, that extension site uh, during the pandemic. There's an opportunity here, I think, for someone uh, like Kansas or Texas or even Colorado, where we're seeing these growing dairy, num uh, dairy cow numbers, to, to bring that research back and to focus on it for the High Plains region of what is the most economical use uh, for the water? What is the biggest bang for the buck for every pound of water that we have left? And I think that would help extend the life. Uh, it, it has to be database. But I think uh, there's a lot of concern here about of what uh, the Kansas Water Authority said. Either way, we've got less water going forward. Right. Uh, either we pump it or <laughs> it gets restricted legally. Mm -hmm. uh, how does that, you know, what, 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 are, no, how do you, what are the legal, uh, what's the legal approach to that? Can the state just simply come in and shut off those junior water right holders? Uh, I asked that question directly to the director and she said, there's a couple of things standing in the way of that. One is the state would have to compensate all those junior water, water right holders. Yeah. Uh, who's where's who's going to write the check for that? Well, from, yeah, exactly. The Kansas taxpayer—they're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the main one. And then uh, how you approach uh, reducing usage—that's uh, a very complex issue. Um, one of the complications with senior water right holders and junior water right holders is that the government thought and assumed, and as I would assume that senior water right holders would sue to shut off the water to junior water right holders for to protect their own economic self-interest. So let's say you and I are neighbors, Casey. Mm. I'm a senior water right holder. You're a junior water right holder. And we're in a drought. And you're pumping and I'm pumping. And my well is going down and you're across the road. And your well, your well is going down. Well, Casey, I like you. But I got a, I got a farm, right. and so I would have conceivably have the right there to shut off your water. Well, an interesting thing happened. That's not happening, and so everyone's still pumping. And there's a whole, that's a whole other issue of why senior water rights are not protecting water right holders are not protecting their rights. And the theory is that who wants to sue their neighbor? Because not only are we neighbors, Casey, we probably go to church together. Sure. Our kids are probably on the same softball team. Yeah. We're going to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's whole kind of all kinds of things there. Why, why um, water right holders are not uh, in, uh, exercising their rights. So what you get then is everybody so, continues. So, to so real quick, explain the difference between a senior and a junior water right holder. It's based on first in time, first in right. Okay, and th that. Uh, the water rights uh, that Kansas have were based on mining rights. Okay. So if somebody goes and mines, you know, some gold out of the mountain, out of a mountain, for instance, the first one who gets there, he has access mm -hmm. first. That's his rights to protect it because okay. it takes a lot of work uh, to do that. And so he's got the legal right. Um, and then secondary, secondary uh, holders, they'd be down the line. Um, so that's where the, the water law in Kansas was adopted from was the, was the mining. So if you're the first one there, you have the first right to that water. The people following you are junior. They have second right. And if it comes down to 
uh, reducing usage because of scarcity issues, who's going to get reduced first? It's going to be the junior water right holder. Okay. All right. So that I'm sure I understand this here. So 1857, I'm on my horse and buggy headed out to Kansas and I, you know, get my little 40 acres and a mule out there in the, in, in the, uh, high plains of, of, uh, of Kansas out there. And I'm, I set up my little camp and I start my farm and do everything else, build my sod house and get, get after it. And I start drill the first well there. Right. So I'm, that'd make me a senior. Right. Yes. That comes in behind me. That's still, that's, so is that first, right? Is that for the entire? Yeah. Is it, for the, well, the state, okay. In order to, this is where I'm not, I'm not a government official Casey. Right. So, um, thank God I'm not, I can't speak for the, the government here. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it was the, uh, um, the water right allocations were, or the water rights were over allocated by the state. Okay. That's okay. the problem. That's the problem. Okay, I get you now. I'm trying. They allowed too many people to drill, um, to drill to pump. Right. And so now here we are in a situation of who's going to reduce. Right. Well, you would normally expect the senior water right holders, as we were talking about, to impose their rights on the junior water right holders mm-hmm. to stop pumping but they haven't been doing it because they're neighbors is what the theory is. So um, at any rate, the Kansas water authority has come out with this new plan. We need to uh, do something about this, which is the first time they've officially said this in a report. And they're the ones that advise the legislature and the governor on water policy. Now going forward, what does this look like? Um, I have, I don't have details on that. Uh, but I'd say the big change here that that we've noted is that the Kansas Water Authority has officially made this statement: we need to sustain it and not deplete it. So when you're at where does this go from here? I I don't have any uh, clarity on that, other than the comment that I made on LinkedIn was which was that there's a way for markets to work this to, right. for the market to allocate. Yeah, corn demand or corn availability goes down and demand perhaps goes up basis goes up bushels move from the eastern corn belt uh, or the from the corn belt over to kansas to the feet where the feed is and over time if uh, we see demand from ethanol decline more bushels will come available and uh, that's way we'll, we'll be able to sustain cattle feeding and dairying uh, on the high plains uh, so and that, and that was the point i had right and um now, as for pop, that's very simple. Markets are going to be very clear about that. They're just going to move from low basis to high basis. Right. Um, whereas uh, when it comes to policy, I don't ask me about government, Casey. I, I mean, you're on the same page there. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any insights. I have no idea what they're doing either. So, yeah, so that's a, it's a very tricky, you know, they put that out there with the intent of some level of enforcement, what that looks like, we don't know. And, but it was just a, it was an interesting topic that you brought up. And I thought that it was worth, because I mean, this is an impactful thing. I mean, this, you take a look at what's going on in Eastern Colorado, for example. I mean, there's a lot of water rights that are being um, bought and taken over by large municipalities on the front range, you know I mean? So that's, that's starting to be an issue there too. So, this is some precedent setting type of, of, of actions that are going to be, you know, put in place by these, these various water boards and water authorities out there that um, could greatly change the way, uh, the way people farm in the high, on the high plains and in a more arid environment. Yeah. So, 
and there's going to be all these economic ripple effects. Sure. Uh, if we're going to be seeing less corn production, and that's going to be infe- affecting uh, grain storage. Mm-hmm. Uh, elevators may be handling fewer bushels. Uh, harvesting equipment, maybe uh, you can be selling some more silage, chopping machinery. I hope uh, not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, there's you never know how this goes, but I mean, right. conceivably, this what this means is less grain production and more, in my mind, more silage production. That would be this logical transition here, uh, as we uh, uh, you know try to make the, the the Ogallala more sustainable. That would seem like the natural tra- transition, and that's going to have all kinds of ripple effects on the local economy. Do you ever see something like okay, so we're talking about the ethanol side of that, and this kind of goes back to the market thing that the ethanol plants continue to, uh, even though they're struggling now, but they continue to to use ethanol um, or to create ethanol uh, just for the, the simple um, distillers grains that come from that and use those dried distiller grain pellets and those kind of things and ship that kind of stuff out for yeah. feed emissions to these various feedlots and, and um, dairies and those kind of things. And then, you know, they find some kind of something to do with the ethanol, whether it's the ethanol becomes a byproduct that nobody really wants. And the DDGs are actually what is what actually makes some money now. I mean, do you see something like that transforming around? Yeah, perhaps, uh, you know, we also have, you know, we'll have more soybean meal production as well uh, because mm-hmm. of the renewable diesel sure. demand. And so DDGs will be in competition with uh, soybean meal. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that'll be a dynamic. In terms of uh, moving feed, I, I think it would probably be a more efficient trade to move, to export the actual corn kernel Mm-hmm. the bushel of corn out of the corn belt to western kansas rather than trying to transport ddgs because there's a lot of air right. in ddgs right and so and what what does the animal want what the animal is going to need is the carbohydrate mm-hmm. and the ethanol processing uh is going to ethanol ethanol producers are going to take out the carbohydrate because they're turning that into alcohol it's true. Yeah. So the animal is going to want, or the the cattle feeders and the life uh, and the dairies are going to want the corn for the carbohydrate. Yeah. So, so you, it would make sense, I think, to actually just ship the corn. Yeah. So do you foresee maybe more arid type crops, like say wheat, for example, that may not need as much water? I mean, it's already a big crop in Western Kansas anyway. But you, yeah, you there's people. There's people who do wheat silage. Um, I think. You know, based on, I'm biased, uh, but I do also know the data about triticale. My family sells triticale seed. Okay. And sell a lot of, my family sells a lot of triticale seed to dairies and feedlots. Mm-hmm. And it, because it comes down to, again, the water use efficiency, what gets more, how, do, how many tons of feed silage do, do you get out of triticale versus wheat uh, per pound, per ton of water or per pound of water? What is the, what is the yield? And uh, triticale typically gets more than wheat. Now, there are some dairies I know that were, are, have been very dedicated to feeding wheat silage or wheatlage mm-hmm. uh, to their dairy cows. And there's been some feedlots doing the same. Uh, but there's been, over time, a conversion of those ac- the wheat acres over to triticale because they're going for uh, tonnage mm-hmm. uh, and you know stocking rates, things like that. It went a higher stocking rate. You get a higher stocking rate with triticale, not so much with wheat, because there's more, literally more green matter, green mass with longer stems, bigger leaves with triticale. 
Right. We're going down a rabbit hole here. Yeah. Uh, but that is, <laughs> I sold so much triticale back in the day. Casey, I can do a pitch for you if you want. <laughs> but uh, I, I can pull out all kinds of numbers about why you need a switch to feed and triticale. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that, that is the underlying that's that's the thinking here is what is the economic yeah. most economical usage and it comes down to yield per pound of water right yeah well a lot of stuff to pay attention to here, man i tell you what this is uh again it's kind of one of those you know what happens here is going to be a cascading effect in other areas where this is a big deal because it's not just kansas it's eastern colorado shares the same aquifer yeah. Texas Panhandle, North Texas, um, Oklahoma Panhandle, all those things all share that same that same aquifer, and um, it's just going to continue to be a, a hot button issue that's going to um, shape the way farming is done there in the high plains. So, um, appreciate you coming on talking about it, Tanner. Yeah, happy to throw in my two cents. I think yeah, we're just going to see more silage, and it's going to be more small grain silage, right and import more of the corn. Right on, buddy. Okay. Well, Tanner, folks, I want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing over at CoBank. What's the best way to do that? Uh, they can go to our website, cobank.com. They can uh, read our research there under the Knowledge Exchange tab. Right on. Okay. I am Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. You can me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find me at Moving Iron LLC. You can also go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and check out the YouTube channel. We can see the very uh, version of this and video over at the YouTube channel. That's Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. So check that out. Uh, you can see more information about Moving Iron at movingironllc.com. And you can uh, check out the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th. If you want to uh, check that out, send me an email, Moving Iron Podcast, movingironpodcast.com, and I'll get you signed up that way. Or you can just do it right there on the on the website, too. So, Tanner, appreciate you coming on talking about this, man. Thanks for having me, Casey. Right on. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Tanner Imke. It's Moose Iron, folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, Ag Direct can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving on